Welcome to the Betrayal Recovery Transformation Podcast, your place to reclaim your life while recovering from betrayal. My name is Jen Howie. Welcome, friends. My name is Chris Rocha. Jen and I are pastoral sex addiction professionals with over 20 years of combined experience. Thank you for joining us today for our story spotlight, our very first one. We have an exciting season of guest speakers coming your way, so please remember to subscribe to, share, and leave a review for the podcast so others can find their way here and receive the help, healing, and support that they deserve. Today we're featuring what we're calling our story spotlight, and we're starting with my co-host, Jen Howie, because in many ways, her story, which is 18 years in the making, was the catalyst to all of this starting. I mean, seriously, (laughs) I am constantly amazed at God's faithfulness in how he brings people and circumstances together and uh, in bringing hope to others. So we hope that you'll experience some of that today, too, with Jen's story. So with that, Jen... Welcome to your podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. I am looking forward to diving in and and telling a little bit about my story. Yep. Excited. Excited for you to share this with everybody because it is so uh, inspirational, really, and hopeful, full of hope. So with that, let's get into this. Uh, Jen, your story is kind of in two parts. So will you give us a brief synopsis of what uh, led to your first marriage and how that turned out? Yes. So I met my first husband actually when I was in eighth grade. I moved in next door to him and I remember the moment I saw him. He was jumping out of the back of a pickup truck and he was running inside the house and I thought, oh my gosh, that is the boy I am going to marry. Like I knew that cute boy was the boy I was going to marry. And so, like I said, I was in eighth grade and we dated off and on all through high school. And just like most high school relationships, there's that aspect of where you kind of have an, you'll break up for a week, you know, and, and then get back together. And, and we had that a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit in our relationship. Well, my senior year of high school, um, we were in one of those breakup phases and, at that point, I really thought it was kind of more of a permanent breakup because I was just graduating high school and he was in the military um, by that time. And I was at a party and at that, I won't say at that point again, (laughs) there's a lot of at that points folks, but there's a lot of them coming. So I was (laughs) at a party and somebody had roofied my drink. I had no idea, obviously, but I woke up to the act of being raped mm-hmm. and I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't move my legs. I, I, I couldn't even lift my head. And after that experience, I realized, you know what, this whole breakup off and on stuff is not something I want. I definitely don't want to ever be in the dating field. Because if there's people like this out here, there's no way I want to spend my life going through things like this to find the person. So my, my boyfriend and I decided um, that we were going to get married. Well, sort of. It sort of happened like that. He came back and proposed. And I knew at that point in my life that what I wanted more than anything was safety 
predictability. I, I did love him and I loved his family and I loved what they had to offer. And you know, what I needed more than anything was the sure thing after that date rape experience or party (laughs) experience, I just decided, yeah, no way, never going to date. Give me the safe, give me the predictable, (laughs) give Mm -hmm. me, give me the thing I know that I can count on. So we did, we got married and I moved away and we had a couple of kids together and my life was really pretty picket fence. Like I gotta say, um, now for the most part, now at one point he had kind of had a thing going with the babysitter and that prompted us to move to a different state. So obviously not having a great season in our lives at that point, but we recovered from it. We were like, I was going to be, Hey, I'm going to be that woman who shows other people that God can restore anything. And I do believe that. But at that point I believed it with a little bit of naivete because what we did is we swept things under the rug and didn't really deal with any of the root issues. So as most things, when you sweep things under the rug, root issues have a way of coming back. And they did. Um, my husband was a great dad. I mean, a really good dad. And he was a model citizen. We actually had a lot of fun together. We laughed a lot together. He wasn't perfect, but I mean, I can't say that I really had any complaints about my marriage. But then it was on the morning of July 10th of 2005, and we were getting ready to go on on a vacation. Actually, he and and my kids were going to be heading out on a vacation, and they were actually going to go stay with their grandparents. And an unmarked car drove up, a police car drove up, another police car drove past and parked around the corner and these people just start kind of flooding into our driveway and they were obviously there for a reason I was thinking oh my gosh there must be there must be like a criminal like in the neighborhood and I had no idea that that criminal would actually end up being my husband wow yeah so unbeknownst to me he had this whole secret life um, that, re- that was involved with sex addiction and the police were here to question him about it. He had committed a crime and they were here to question him about it. Well, they called him by name. First of all, they walk down there and they say his name and I'm like, wow, that's, this is how naive I was. Wow. That's weird. Why do they know his name? They took him around the corner and they spoke to him and then he'd come back around and they were so, they handled it with so much integrity because they decided to walk him around the corner to arrest him so his children wouldn't see. That was mm-hmm. a kind gift to my kids. So they, they took him around the corner. Well, I asked, where is he going? And he says, I don't know. I'm going to answer a few questions. So he kind of played dumb. And they arrest him and they drive away. And my two sons, who were seven and 10 at the time, they both run up to the car and they're like, where's daddy going? I said, you know, he's... He's going to go answer a couple of questions for the police officers. And my oldest says to my youngest, oh, daddy's going to go get the bad guys. And they ran off playing and laughing. And so now I'm standing near the 
front of my minivan and there is a woman standing there and a police officer still on site. And the woman says to me, Jennifer, I need you to go get the kids and tell them to come with me. I can't imagine as a mother what that experience was like for you. I, to this day, I think my jaw just still kind of drops as I, as I look back, like I'm in my mind's eye, just remembering this moment. And I'm like, what? She says, we need to do some interviewing with all of you, and the children need to come with me. You need to go inside and get them. And immediately then at that point, everything just kind of starts whoosh, coming together. And I'm like, I start crying and I'm like, will you bring them back? Will you bring them back? Tell me you're going to bring them back. And she says, I'll bring them back. You need to remain calm. You do not want your children to be upset. So you have to be calm and you need to go inside and let them know they need to come with me and that you'll meet up with them later and that they're safe. Wow. And I'm, yeah, so I'm wiping away my tears and I'm like, okay, okay. And I go inside and I tell my kids to go with the lady and they get into that unmarked parked car. And the funny thing about the police officer is like part of what I understood in that moment, even though I didn't know really what was going on, what I understood in that moment was that he was still there to take me away. And if I didn't comply, then my kids were going to lose both their parents in one day. And so he went away, she went away, and I'm standing in my driveway. I can almost still hear, what are those, what are those bugs in the summertime? What are they called? Yeah, those bugs. that's what I could hear. And I could almost smell like the heat that was rising off of the asphalt of my driveway. And I was standing there, not understanding what was happening, but fully knowing that my entire life had just changed and that my kids entire life had just changed. So, yeah, so that's the story of how kind of that marriage started to come to its end. Eventually we we were, oh man. Yeah. So we were at the top of the news every single night for like three months. They, they would, the reporters would call my home and ask for interviews. His face was this massive mugshot. And it was, we were forced into this publicity that I don't think anyone is ever really prepared for. No. Uh, we were serving in the church and they drug the church through the mud. They, they held um, public forums to discuss what was going on. Um, all these things that were, really, really intense. And then it was about three months later, it was actually in November that he was finally sent, sentenced to 20 years in prison. Mm-hmm. And that is in that moment, I was like, Holy smokes, what am I going to do? I'm an uneducated mother of two children. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do, mm-hmm. which kind of led honestly to my next marriage. Mm. (laughs) So I remember all of this happening because a mutual friend of ours, Becky, love you, Becky, uh, had introduced us because I I lived in the, the same neck of the woods as you and then moved about two and a half hours away. And I will never forget driving down the freeway with my husband in the car on a Saturday afternoon. And Becky called and said, this is what's going on with Jen and, and her family. 
Um, and that that impacted me in a way that you and I have talked discussed. That that's where our friendship started, you and I. And yeah. and I we were so drawn to you and the boys. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't human. It was supernatural. <laughs> it was supernatural because I've never had an experience like that before or or since. Um, but that that was the start of our friendship. Was it you really going was. through this trauma? Yeah, you showed up at my door and you told me, I know you don't know me very well and I know that you're going through a bunch of stuff, but I feel really drawn and called to be here to talk to you. Are you open to that? Mm-hmm. I remember you came into my living room and um, we just hit it off and it was just a very sacred place. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And continues to be, which I'm so yeah. grateful for. So like, you know, like you, like we were talking the other day and here we are. <laughs> God, God does not waste our pain, does he? No. So um, that was your first marriage. A few years later, you met your husband, Dan. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. How did you get to the point where you could trust another man? Okay. So my experience in my first marriage was a bit surreal. So I had this, I don't, unnatural, supernatural, supernatural trust in God, because this was way too cinematic Mm -hmm. for it not to turn out. Okay. Good word. Nonetheless, I will say, I will say though, my, my children were in a lot of trauma a lot of trauma after having lost their dad, because at one point, you know, I had to tell my kids that their dad wasn't coming home and, and one of them asked, Oh my gosh, did he drink and drive? Like that was the worst thing he could possibly think of. Um, and even then they didn't want me to get divorced. Like that was the second worst thing they could think of. So my poor kids were, were going through this process of, a public loss of their father. And I started to talk to this guy, Dan, but just privately, it was probably about, we started dating about a, almost a year after, uh, my first husband went to prison. Okay. And, um, and, and I, I was really, I had decided that I was, would never, and I mean, never, ever, ever, ever be duped again. So I did all the things that most women do to, to preserve that vow that they make to themselves. Um, um, I did all the checking. I did all, I was hypervigilant at all times from here on out. And for good reason, obviously, one of the things that I needed to do was explain, not explain, but, um, be aware of, you know, what kind of man I was marrying. So I knew his parents, I knew his mom, I sang in the choir with his dad. His mom was actually my counselor when I, when the, my first marriage was ending. Um, and I didn't know him at all, but I, the weird thing is, is I sat on my mother-in-law's couch, you know, two years before I ever knew she was going to be my mother-in-law, but Mm -hmm. we talked about the loss of my first husband. And so, Um, but he really clicked all the boxes, but the one box that I needed checked the most, because in my vow to never be duped again, I needed to be with a man who wasn't perfect because my first husband really had looked like he had everything together and there was this major secret. So what I needed in my next husband was someone who was willing to tell me they're ugly to willing to tell me they're gross. Let me be in. Show me your transparency. Show me the yuck. 
And he did. He had a previous marriage. He had, I got three wonderful stepchildren through this process, by the yes, way. You did. Best stepkids in the world. Bonus mm-hmm. kids. And um, but you know, he had a marriage, first marriage that had ended badly. Um, and he was also coping with alcohol at that point in his life to manage the pain that he was in. So between him being really open and honest about what took place in his first marriage and being open and honest about his coping with alcohol, I was like, ding, ding, ding. That's the kind of man I want. I want, and he was working on it. He was in recovery before we started dating and all of that. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's not perfect. Great. Cause nobody is. He shares and he's transparent about the crappy things he's done. Perfect. And he's in recovery. And I don't, I'm not the catalyst to that. All right. I have definitely hit the jackpot on top of it. He's super witty, super fun. And we have freaking great chemistry. So, um, our banter is like on point. So, um, now (laughs) with that, there were warning signs. Um, I knew that he had had a previous issue with pornography, but I quickly dismissed it because at this point in my life, I'm like, eh, what guy doesn't, right? I just like, all men do. So it was a really, well, it was a red flag. It was still dismissed very, very quickly. So, okay. And then in December of 2013, something pretty huge happened in your marriage. Could you tell us about that? You know, now that I, I told you 2013, but it was actually 12-12-12. It was December oh. 12 of 2012. Okay. And, um, but it was two, December uh, of January of 2013 that my life started to change and where it started to get healing. So mm. um, anyway, so in December of 2012... I, we were unpacking groceries from the car and he was in the back and I was gathering the things from the front and out of my habit of being hypervigilant, which I was excellent at because again, never going to be duped. I picked up his phone and looked at his call log and on the call log were several called missed and basically called and missed phone calls, like, like in a row, like 10 of them. And my gut, oh my gosh, you Mm. friends, you know what that is. Your gut just lights up. So I call the number and she answers. She says, hello. I don't say anything. And we sit there with several awkward moments, both knowing full well what was taking place. I hang up the phone. We go inside. Um, I I don't fully confront him because at this point, my my skills in conflict resolution are not very strong <laughs> because I'm still hoping the best at this point because I'm like this can this can't be happening this can't be happening calm down calm down so I think I bring up a different subject about my ex husband to try to try to ease myself into the subject and he wasn't taking the bait so finally I come out and say what I saw and he admits to it that he was having, he wasn't, it wasn't a physical affair. He was having, um, an online relationship with someone that he had met online blew me away. I start shaking. I was shaking and convulsing. My knees were literally, you know how, like when you're out in the cold and your jaw starts like 
chattering. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. my knees were doing that like a million miles in it. Anyways, I got to the point where I couldn't even stand. I remember I was in the bathroom and I just I slid down the wall, just shaking, almost, almost convulsing. My body could not handle it the trauma. And I love how our bodies work. Our bodies know, oh, too much, get rid of it. So that's why our bodies shake. So I love that our bodies know that. Once I was able to regain strength, we went out to sit around the Christmas tree where we had planned to wrap presents. But instead, he begins to unwrap our marriage and starts to disclose an entire secret life that he had. And this secret life was also sex addiction related, not criminally related, but sex addiction related and included um, infidelity that you'd have to count on, on two hands, uh, hookups and websites and picture exchanges and inappropriate conversations with people at work. And it was a very long list of unfaithfulness and as most of you experienced some staggered disclosure in that. So there I was, second marriage, devastated by You know, that. you just use the term staggered disclosure, and some of our listeners might not know what that is. Could you take a little aside real quick and explain what that is? My guess is if they don't know what it is, they have experienced it some degree or another. Staggered mm-hmm. disclosure is where you get a little bit of truth. And usually with the addict, you get a little bit, they give you a little bit of truth and hoping that you won't ask more, that that will satisfy the satiation. Yeah, the questions. So staggered disclosure is where you get a little bit more, you get information and it's devastating. And then you start putting pieces together. You might ask more questions. So they tell you a little bit more with the same intention, hoping you won't ask more. And, And every time you get a staggered disclosure, they say that, Stagger disclosures will rate on the um, index score, the uh, not PTSD. Yeah, yeah, PTSD index score as a rape victim. Like mm. that's where the trauma score can rank with some people when it comes to stagger disclosures. So um, I was no exception to that either. He was he was didn't want to tell me because first of all he didn't want to admit it, but. He didn't want to tell me also because he knew what a crappy thing he was doing and that he was hurting his wife as he, as he watched me just break down. So yeah, Mm -hmm. staggered disclosure is when disclosure happens bit by bit by bit, little breadcrumb trail of mm -hmm. truth. Mm -hmm. As opposed to a therapeutic disclosure Mm -hmm. and we will have a future podcast on what that's all about, but thanks Jen. Thanks for explaining that. So uh, that was in 2012. And then you said in 2013, you guys started uh, finding resources to help you heal. So what has recovery looked like over the last 10 years for you both? That's, that's, that's a big question that could probably have its own episode, honestly. <laughs> um, you know, we did get healing. We started getting healing in 2013. Uh, we went to a local church that had a group called Seven Pillars and for him and then Betrayal and Beyond for me. It's And though that um, is a part of an organization called Pure Desire. And Pure Desire had this group that was at our local church. And it was there where I could start learning about the brain and understanding how good men do bad things. And I know my husband sounds really crappy right now, you guys, but he is a good man. Yes, he is. did bad things. And, 
and I wasn't ready to give up on my relationship with him. And I was fortunately now married to someone again, who wasn't afraid of doing hard work. So, um, and this so, is where we say that, uh, that sexual addiction is an intimacy disorder, right? And that, um, and that, um, addiction is a symptom of a deeper problem. And you just said that Jen, that your husband was trying to medicate a deeper pain. So yes, yeah, yes. yeah. And, and honestly, a deeper pain that he continues to unravel to this day. It's, it's complex. It's not black and white. And so part of our healing process included a ton of trauma responses from me. So many, some I'm willing to share on air. Some I'm not. One time I, he had to ride with a coworker and I backed up and hit him with my car accidentally, but I hit him with the car because I was in such a fight or flight mode that I had to get out of the scenario. And I didn't understand what was happening to me. And I had to pull over on the side of the road. I couldn't even drive. I, th- I thought I was going crazy so many times. I didn't understand what was happening to my brain. I, I would sometimes rock myself in a fetal position, which is what my first son did under the playground equipment when his dad left. I under recognized that as trauma, but for me to do that, I thought I was going crazy. Hmm. I didn't, I didn't know that the, the, I didn't know what betrayal trauma was. I didn't know that it was normal. I didn't know that my body was doing exactly what it was supposed to be doing. I just thought that I was one step closer to, to being committed. And so we went to counseling for a year um, we've, we had some relapses along the way. There's been a lot of rupture repair. Now, remember, I didn't know how to conflict resolution. So rupture repair was a new thing to me. And we've done that a lot in our marriage. And the difference between, in my faith, between the first marriage and the second was the first one, I understood that God was going to take care of me. This time I was ticked. Hmm. I was so mad at God that you would allow this to happen to me again, again, not the same scenario, but still same context, but you don't care about my boys. What about my boys? My boys need a godly father. I was just really mad at God that, that, that I was even in this position once again. As a matter of fact, I got to the point where I was like, I don't even know if I believe in God because if God wants me to stay in this chaotic place just to rely on him. I think that's cruel and I don't want to serve a God like that. Okay. Yeah. I I know that's a a normal response for many women trying to reconcile their faith and their reality. Mm -hmm. So what sorts of things did you do? You said you you mentioned groups and you mentioned therapy. Um, What was there anything else that you could add to that, that you did that helped you pursue healing over the last 10 years? Well, I think a lot of what we did, what we talked about really in our first podcast mm-hmm, were yeah. those things. I didn't know about CSATs and all that about that, about that at that point, but we were really uh, deeply into pure desire at that point. And um, we took the groups, we went through groups a couple of times. And after, after you go through group a couple of times, you're encouraged to pay it forward and help other women walk. And so as I continued to grow in my healing, I started walking with other women through their healing. And I, at one point, 
it was probably about seven years into our healing that we actually ended up going to work for Pure Desire. We packed up everything and we moved over the mountain and we went to work at Pure Desire. And um, there we were able to start some of the, the mostly my husband was doing this, I'd say we uh, you know, we, it was we um, <laughs> got got that online group stuff um, really going during the pandemic and all of that. Through that, we ended up getting our pastoral, both of us got our pastoral sex addiction professional um, certification. And with the encouragement of Trevor and Nick at Pure Desire, I, I started blogging more. They asked me to do some podcasts. I had opportunities to speak. And now it's led to this amazing thing that we're doing here. We're part of Pure Life Alliance. We're life coaching. I'm working on starting a book. I mean, I am amazed at how, fa- how much could happen in 10 years. But I tell you, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I could not have... I could not have dreamt up the scenario that we're in now. I just, it was unfathomable, unfathomable. Can't say the word. We're going to move on. Well done. (laughs) Yeah. So God really did make your mess, your message. He has, it's the adage of, you know, beauty from ashes. Um, God doesn't waste our pain. Um, Yeah. So many little mic drop statements there that you are living out right now today. Yeah. You know, one thing that Dan and I, have really discovered, I think. So part of it, you know, at the very beginning of of recovery, you'll hear the concept that it takes three to five years for healing. You're like, oh my gosh, three to five years. And Mm -hmm. first of all, first and foremost, it's not three to five years of being where you are now. It's three to five years of consistently working a process to renew your mind. And, and, and God in his sovereignty and his care for us, while he could miraculously come in and heal something from someone, he asks us to participate in it. So Dan and I have been participating in our own healing process, and we've been participating in each other's healing process. And I think there's this, there's this aching and this longing to have arrived to have healed. And those are really fun, wonderful words, but they end in ED, healed, Mm -hmm. arrived. And the truth, friends, (laughs) none of it ends with an ED. It all ends in an ING. Mm -hmm. You can, healing, you're arriving, you're sharing, you're growing, you're learning, you're learning. learning. All of it is an ING. And I think if we constantly aim for the end result of ED, not only are we missing out on some of the beautiful things that God can do in our lives during the process, but we get so attached to the outcome that we miss some of the, not just opportunities, but the beauty behind what is transforming and transforming mm-hmm. <laughs> inside of us? Does anyone, I mean, we all do want to be, we want to be transformed, but I don't know about you. I want to keep transforming. Like, I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop here. I don't want to stop getting stronger, you know? So that's where we are today. We are 10 years into this process. 
uh, on this date. <laughs> we are 16 years married. Uh, we have kids that are married. We have grandbabies. We're growing and moving and learning and quite honestly still exceeding the expectation that we had for our marriage at the beginning of all of this. I couldn't be more proud of the man I'm married to, and I cannot be more proud of the relationship that we choose to move into and press into and fight for. I don't honestly, I hope you all have this experience, but I hope you are married to someone who 10 years down the road, you can be, you can be, admire so much for the work that the two of you did together, knowing that without each other and without this experience, you wouldn't have something to brag about. Like I'm so, I'm bragging about it. It's ridiculous. But I will also say as the woman who did not have that, I didn't have that in my first marriage. My first marriage did end and it was terrible, but God didn't waste that either. God didn't waste that either. So, uh, I've learned a lot from that as well. The the only difference this time is I get to do it with someone. The first time I had to do it without a spouse. This time I got to do it with one. So whether your marriage makes it or whether it doesn't, when we detach from the outcome and attach from the one who tells us that we're going to be okay, I'm going to tell you right now, spoiler alert, you are going to be okay. Yes. Is the, is the marriage? I don't know. I don't know. Are you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we detach from the outcome and we attach to the one that sees and holds our future for us. Amen. Oh, mic drop right there. I don't even think I can add anything to that, except that I want to say, as your friend, it has been such an honor these last 20 plus years to walk alongside you and to know you and to see the fruit of the Spirit come alive in you and, and that act of sanctification, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're justified through our, through faith in Jesus, but the sanctification process can be so painful, but so rewarding and pressing into the pain, getting curious about the why underneath the actions and behaviors and beliefs, right? The thoughts. Um, it's been so amazing to see love and peace and mm-hmm. joy and gentleness and uh, and I mean there you know there's moments of conflict and, and hardship but but you and and your husband you and Dan dig in together and and you you get through the hard stuff to the other side where that emotional intimacy exists and a deeper faith my mama said that god didn't design marriage to make us happy he designed it to make us holy and mm-hmm. i could add that to family because nothing will make you hit your knees faster than your your marriage or your kids right so yeah, yeah, true. i i love that um that that's something i can see I in your say, yeah i i don't want to I feel like I put a little nice bow on it. There were plenty of moments, you guys, where I wanted to throat punch my husband. There were moments where I actually considered putting pickle juice in all of his food because I know he hates pickles. And there were moments where I had very deep, deep thoughts, dark, dark thoughts that I won't share here. But I'm just saying that, yes, God did all those things. But if you were having... If you're like, oh, that's great for you, but that's not for me, please know that there are details that weren't shared here today. Deep longing 
moments where you felt like grief could crawl its way out of your body and literally kill you. You felt like heartbreak could literally kill you. Those were a part of my process as well. It wasn't just trauma. It was profound grief and loss of what I thought I had. So yes, Chris, all those things, yes and amen to all those things <laughs> taking place in my marriage, but it wasn't void of deep hard. sorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hard times and deep struggles for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jen, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I know there's more to it and I'm sure more will be revealed in upcoming episodes and such, but, but this was a great starting point today. So thank you. And with that, thank you everyone for listening and joining us on this episode. There are new episodes coming uh, every other week. So stay tuned and we will see you next time. Yes, Chris. And I also want to say to you, thank you so much for the last 18 years. Yeah. 18 years of support. Thank you for walking by my side, for standing up in my wedding, knowing all that I I had gone through. Thank you for, for doing life with me and, and for sticking with me so long that we get to have a moment like this as well. Absolutely. It's, it's been a joy. It continues to be a joy. And again, look at where we are. We're doing a podcast together, only God. So yeah, absolutely. Jen, it's been a joy and a pleasure. I love you. I love you too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Betrayal Recovery Transformation Podcast with your hosts, Chris Rocha and Jen Howie. We hope you've been helped and encouraged. If you value the content we shared today, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review. This helps others find the show. Need personalized guidance? Please contact Chris or Jen for transformative coaching. This episode has been brought to you by HealingWithTheHowies.com, WatermarkCoach.com, and with the support of Pure Life Alliance Ministries.